Hello, everyone. My name is Ian Rowe. And I'm Nike Fajors. And welcome to The Invisible Men, where we make the achievements of incredible men invisible no more. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of The Invisible Men. My name is Ian Rowe, a resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. I'm Nike Fajors, a member of the Leadership Network at AEI. Great to see you, Nike. And as our viewers know, The Invisible Men is all about demystifying Black excellence. Introducing men that you may not have seen, but have been doing amazing work in their communities, in their businesses. And we're really excited today to see an old friend, Myron White. Hey, Myron, how are you doing? Hey, what's going on, Ian? I like you. Hey, brother. It's a pleasure. It is I'll a pleasure. I'll revisit our old invisible man. <laughs> oh, look at that. Myron White, who was part of the original crew of The Invisible Man almost 30 years ago. You were in that video with us. I was. I was. It was an honor. Seriously, it was, uh, it was very much an honor and uh, got a lot of flack for leaving class to participate. <laughs> I remember I, I left corporate restructuring and, and Steve Fenster, I mean, he, he made it seem like World War II, but I said this is important. All right, well, you see that? Whatever you could have learned in that moment, what you imparted as being part of the Invisible Man was, it, it is more significant. So thank you oh, for making that decision. Far exceeded, far exceeded that one day of learning. <laughs> yes. So Myron, it's so great to see you. You've had quite a career since we were all together at Harvard Business School. You, you've been in finance, you've done entrepreneurial work, you got your PhD in organizational leadership. Uh, you are, you, what, as you were then, you're kind of a Renaissance man, but something that you've done, which is truly extraordinary and that we are all thankful for is that you were uh, in the military for 26 years, deployed in Iraq, Kuwait, Bosnia, the United Arab Emirates. Um, Thank you. Uh, thank you for your extraordinary service. Uh, you're welcome. And it, it's an honor. It was an honor to serve. You know, if you look at some of, you know, my idol, Denzel Washington, a lot of his films, you can glean a lot of the uh, experiences that he takes in movies like The Equalizer and his uh, 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 Courage Under Fire, some of those movies. Uh, he plays pretty a pretty significant role about what it means to serve with honor and character and dignity. So. Wow, to serve with honor. Oh, Myron, thank you. I can't wait to get into our conversation. And I'm about to ask you the first question, but just to give our viewers a preview, as you know, at the end of each episode, we ask our guest to, prov to provide advice to Daryl, our imaginary 16-year-old uh, who lives in Forgotten USA. But Myron has actually invited his own real life Daryl, who will join us uh, in a few minutes. So we can't wait wait for that. So Myron, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us what happened in the in the early version of Myron when you were still sort of crafting your own view of the world. Yeah. So thanks, guys. Um, thanks for having me. It's, it's truly an honor and a reunion to to talk to you all. So I looked at uh, Troy and Cliff's uh, podcast, and I gleaned a little bit from that. Um, I went to Catholic school as well, just like them. 
uh, came from an urban background. Not, I know Troy talked about zip codes. My zip code was 70121 in New Orleans, Louisiana. So uh, my neighborhood was had very few non-African-Americans, but my school was very mixed, a parochial Catholic school. And I'll never forget my first grade. I went to first grade. I didn't go to kindergarten because my mom wanted to save on tuition. You could get a discount if all four of your kids were in first to eighth grade. So I had three sisters. And my teacher, Miss Smallpage, Diane Smallpage, and I dedicated my dissertation part of it to her. She told me when I was just a young African-American male, the only African-American male in her class, she said, you can be whatever you want to be. And I will never forget her saying that because Miss Smallpage didn't have to be a teacher. You know, our school was Catholic. We had a lot of nuns, had very few non-nun uh, teachers. And, you know, she was pretty wealthy. So she lived in the French Quarter, part of New Orleans, where all the money was. And she took us on a field trip to Audubon Park and to the French Quarter as a first grader. And she had a pool and she, she had servants who gave us lunch. And, uh, you know, I was like, wow, you know, she spends her time teaching. And she doesn't even have, you know, she doesn't even have to work. But what she imparted in me was a sense of confidence and a sense of belief in myself, no matter what neighborhood I came from, no matter what I went home to, you know, I could do whatever I wanted. So I, I really have to thank her. And, you know, 40 years later, when I actually finished my PhD, I still remember that message that Miss Smallpage gave me. So. Wow. Is she still with us? I'm not sure. I've not found her. We've been searching for her. One of my friends lives in Austin, Texas. She used to work for Merrill Lynch. And we both were um, kind of co-valedictorians of our class. We've been, we've been looking for her just to say thank you. But I don't, I'm not sure if she's still alive. But we definitely remember her because everybody in that class felt important and special. And for me, you know, being African-American and the only male you know, we had two females and me being only African-American male. It meant a lot for her to like not ostracize me and really make it all one even playing field. So from that day, I started my journey. All right. So after this episode is done, I'm going to try and we're going to try and find Miss Smallpage. <laughs> Diane. Either her or, or Diane Smallpage, either her Diane or her Smallpage. family, just to know. Because I remember I had a great teacher, Miss Talish, Linda Talish, in sixth grade. And she, you know, I had very strong parents and, and uh, you know, I felt very blessed. But she saw something in me and I tracked her down many years later to let her know the impact that she had had on my life. Yeah, yeah. If, well, if you can find her, I have her picture. I'll send it to you. But uh, we have... <laughs> We have been searching for 10 years <laughs> to try to find her. I think actually one of my classmates, I think, is a senator. So, uh, you know, we we have really kind of searched for her and her her real appreciation for learning and for nurturing kids. She was she was pretty amazing. And she only taught that one year. So uh, I feel blessed that, you know, that, you know, God shined down on me to have all of us to have her for that for that one and only year that she taught. So after that, she left. I mean, Ian, there's so much there. I, I go back to your Teach for America experience, right? And getting, you know, 
highly passionate, motivated young people into, into the teaching system. I mean, look at what this lady did for, for Myron and so many of those other children. It's, you know, we, we won't go on a path along, you know, school choice and the importance of creating that sort of competitive energy to hopefully prove the education. But what a compelling story, again, about what one individual can do for a young child. It's, it's really powerful. Yeah, Ian, Ian was definitely was Mr. Teach for America. He was, he was so multifaceted. I could, like, does he sleep? <laughs> you know, I'm a traditional Jamaican. I have seven jobs, man. <laughs> Don't ask him to list his jobs now because that'll fill up the rest of this conversation. Oh, man, for our viewers who, you know, who were watching in living color back in the day, you know, the Jamaican family. Why? Oh, I have seven jobs. What? You only have seven jobs? You must have ten jobs. <laughs> I was literally watching episodes of that about four months ago and just laughing because there's one where they compete with the Korean family next door. Right, exactly. At the fruit stand, and they're sort of competing. Oh my god! But it's it's, it's an important. You no, know, it's, it's funny. Sometimes right. stereotypes actually apply. You know. Anyway, so Myron, so so, and then what made you then make the decision to? go into the military. I mean, here you were this corporate guy, you were you were having these interesting experiences, you were at KPMG, you were at big companies, and yet you were also, in some ways, putting yourself in harm's way. How, how did you think about that? So, um, for those who didn't know, I actually was an athlete growing up. I played four sports and had a lot of MVP trophies. Again, I have to, I have to credit a lot of it to Miss Smallpage in that early you know, that early confidence building, because I was, you know, I was really small. And if you remember HBS, he won the, the basketball championship at Shad. Yeah, so, right. So for me, Didn't I beat uh, you once? What'd you say? Didn't I beat you once? No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> now, Orville did. Now, Orville Bailey, Orville Bailey, definitely, he definitely is probably the only one. But Okay, uh, all right. All right. Uh, but you're still my friend, but <laughs> that's not your skill set. But um so um being you know, I came to HBS on the on the corporate management program, but I quickly found out my second year I, I knew I had grown, but I didn't realize how much I had grown. So when I was getting the and I was shocked even then because, you know, my first year I didn't get, I remember I didn't get very many internship offers at all. And I had to take the last ones that, you know, that were folks considered the bottom of the barrel. I went to work for Amico for the summer, even though I could have gone back and worked for Lily. But uh, so I came out of my first year not really feeling too good about myself. I was like, you know, I'm just average to below average. But I think, um, you know, the Harvest experience. And then I was uh, real active in the International Development Club when Invisible Man came out. And, you know, my grades were still, you know, I was getting a lot of ones and twos my second year. Then I started getting offers from like McKenzie and Goldman Sachs and Merrill Lynch. And I was like, wow, this is pretty incredible. Like, you know, I went from being somewhat a bottom feeder to, uh, you know, what, people consider like the top offers but 
you know, I had a little Kevin Garnett in me, and I felt loyal to the company that sponsored me, so I went back. But again, I I felt like I had grown so much, and I should have just uh, went on with a lot of those other offers. So when I cut corporate ties, I still had, you know, everybody knows about that HBS student loan. And uh, so I still had to have find a way to pay for it. And so I had the corporate side and the military was picking up my student loan debt. So I, I had to juggle both worlds. Uh, but I was still in shape. You know, I was still the athlete, could do all the running and all that stuff. So I was just a weekend warrior. And KPMG, pretty much, they loved it. They loved the fact that, you know, I could perform consulting during the week. And then just one weekend a month, I could do my little military time and pay off my student loan. Then I had children by that time. So it just kind of all worked out. And I was really fortunate. I was in a special forces unit, which means, you know, our standards were so high that we never had to worry about, you know, anybody in the Army questioning our ability to perform. So when we did get deployed and, you know, we were already like overprepared because we were special forces unit. So uh, this really was a blessing. I just kind of fell into a lot of these things. But I, I just, again, go back to that first grade experience teaching me about confidence and not, you know, not shying away from the hard tasks, the hard classes. You know, I took a lot of hard classes at Purdue, which, you know, everybody who went to Harvard knows that it's not like Purdue was on the radar. <laughs> uh, besides Cash, he kind of broke the mold to bring oh, more that's right. Midwestern students, you know, the HBS. Everybody else was coming from NYU, Yale. And actually, let's just let's just educate our, our listeners. So you're referring to Dr. Jim Cash, who is the former chairman of the MBA program, probably the first tenured African-American at Harvard Business School. And he did what, his Ph.D. at Purdue, if I'm not mistaken? He did, he, he did his Ph.D. in computer science at Purdue. So I always felt like he was a role model to me, even though I never met him. So when I, I got into Stanford, I remember Troy, Troy Stanford, Harvard comparison. I got into Stanford my junior year coming out of Purdue. So I already had that in my back pocket. And Professor Cash called me. He said, I was sitting at my desk and he said, hey, I hear, you know, you're making a decision. And I said, yeah, you know, I already have Stanford in my back pocket. And I got in to Harvard. And he said, well, I don't take losing very lightly. So don't call me back unless you have the right answer. <laughs> so I, I felt I felt privileged and, and, and blessed, you know, that one of my role models actually picked up the phone to call me. And so I was like, it's, a, it's easy. Who was also a great basketball player in college, if I remember correctly. He was, a, I think, a D1 uh, basketball player, probably yeah, six he, foot seven. Yep. He played at TCU and a uh, great person. We were trying to get him to come back and speak at the HBS Club of Charlotte. I actually met him at the Summer Venture Management Program in 89. So that was my first introduction to Harvard. Uh, it was a week program. Most of the students were HBCU students trying to introduce us to the case method and coming to Harvard Business School. So that's when I first met him. And we all talk about his impression on us. And oh, incredible. Young juniors in college. And we just kind of, some of us, I don't think many of us matriculated besides myself. But 
uh, I definitely was, I definitely was always reminded of, of his leadership in not only at Purdue and not only when he played basketball for D1, but also, and I went to his retirement ceremony. It was beautiful. He cried and we all cried talking about his racial experiences. So we all know no matter where you go, you still have those, those experiences that you have to deal with. Very true. Yeah, no, he, he's an amazing man. I mean, he was a he was a mentor to probably five hundred people. Right. He he's still alive. He is. Yeah, he is. He is. He is fair. Yeah, and I mean, but I mean, specific to HBS, he was just he was a. Again, I think everyone thought he was their mentor, and in fact, you know, he had five hundred people that looked up to him and 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 valued everything he said yeah remarkable but absolutely he's still i think he's a part owner in the boston celtics and uh you know sat on microsoft and walmart's boards i know in the past not sure what he's doing exactly now but yeah exceptional well so myron let's uh, we have a, we have something we call the speed round um where we offer up a couple of individuals or philosophies and ask you to pick one and tell us why so we we often start the speed round with um the classic Martin or Malcolm? Oh, um, even though Martin's my fraternity brother, and it's probably unpopular in the southern, in the South Church League, I gotta go with Malcolm because just recently, like I told Nike, I did a Black History Month program on Malcolm, and I believe that a lot of his sayings uh, ring true today about loving ourselves, loving humanity, loving God. You know, he was critical of Dr. King initially, but over time, they kind of uh, became friends and worked together. We did a lot of research on him in our PhD program and how what he did um, kind of talked a little bit more about an aggressive approach to economic freedom. And quite sadly, you know, Dr. King and his nonviolent approach to civil rights, you know, his life was ended by the by the violence that he preached against his whole life. So I got to go with Malcolm. Very good. And, you know, um, you've done both. So a corporate executive uh, or entrepreneur? So I want to say both, but I know you're going to make me choose. I have to go with uh, entrepreneurship from, from um, our economic wealth standpoint but i think there's a lot of value in being a corporate executive and like professor cash and having your voice in the room because i like i said i still sit on some boards the symphony board and you know a homeowners association board and some other boards and without that corporate experience and our voice and our presence you know we really would be isolated and kind of shut out so uh there's there's a lot of value in that um you know, people need to be in corporate to, to kind of shift that dynamic, make some of those changes, but I got to go out. Very good. Um, well, I'm going to, you know, because we have a guest coming on, uh, I'm going to hold one of the questions for, for, our, for our guest, our final question, and, and turns it back to Ian. That's fine. Right. Yeah, so, so, so Myron, thank you for suggesting this uh interesting variation. We typically ask you to give advice to an imaginary 16-year-old, Daryl, who we call, but you, and tell us about uh, this young man, Corey, 
who you befriended, it sounded maybe like five years ago. And uh, just tell us a little bit about him because he is with you. Yes. Uh, so Corey Williams is here. We went to lunch about two weeks ago and uh, I was telling him about this opportunity. I said I would ask uh, my compatriots <laughs> if, if they would mind him coming on. Uh, I met him. We used to sing in the choir together at church. I was an usher and I still sing. So I still enjoy singing. And uh, so he said, yeah, he would, he would love to participate. So I gave him a little background about how we started 30 years ago. And this was our uh, attempt. But you'd be quite surprised at, you know, how little has changed from the Rodney King situation to what he was talking about uh, with George Floyd. Because when George Floyd happened, I was actually in Iraq. So I didn't really, I was hearing a lot of things on the news, you know, trying to get a glean of what was going on here in America. But um, he, you know, he shared a lot of thoughts about what he thinks about here in High Point, North Carolina, and his thoughts on some of those national issues. So I'll just let him speak for himself. His name is Corey Williams, and we met at uh, Temple Memorial Baptist Church here in High Point. Okay, wonderful. He's a he's a big tight end, so he's he's a he's an athlete. <laughs> wonderful. Hey, hey, nice to meet y'all today. Hey, oh, Corey. wonderful to meet you, young man. How are you doing? Thank you for joining us. So what? Thank you for joining us. Oh, no problem. Thank you. It's great to be amongst you. Um, yeah. It's, so men. it's good to talk to y'all today. Well, Corey, the whole reason we are doing this show, frankly, is so that young men like you know that there are just slightly less young men <laughs> like us who, um, who are as much in your... Uh, sense of possibility as every other narrative that might you might hear and you should know that we have our own people that we look up to as well because we're we, we're not ever necessarily all that right but um part of why we created this was that we're sometimes concerned that there's a a narrative out in the world of what is possible for young men young black men yeah, to achieve and so so why don't we just, just, I'd love to know a little bit about you and how you connected to Myron and, and why, and why did that bond, why did that bond form between the two of you? Um, okay. So actually we went to church together. Um, my grandma's church actually, but, um, Mr. Myron, like he's an amazing man. He actually defined like the rim without a roof. Like he's the sky's the limit. He can tell you numerous of things like he did of how successful he is and how like anybody can be successful. It doesn't matter like your skin, how like how old you are. Like he said, he said, I, he said I was in the military. Stop. You know what I'm saying? Stop what he was doing. And he went up and went to um, get his doctors. So it's pretty much like anything is possible. Um, but me personally, uh, I'm 19 years old. Um, and yeah, I'm, I reside here in High Point, North Carolina. Um, and I'm in school right now, currently. You're in I, school I, right now? I can try. I can try. But, um... That's A&T, North Carolina. Oh, yeah. A&T. Oh, yeah. A&T. That's A&T. <laughs> I can The number one HBCU in the country. Yeah. But, um, those are some things about me. Um, business. I'm a businessman. So, business administration. And I minor in uh, architecture and, and uh, interior design. So, um... 
Hey, Corey, come, come a bit closer to the, because we're having a little difficulty hearing you. Come a little uh, closer. Some difficulty hearing me. What part did you miss there? I'm sorry. I, I, heard, I heard great words like architecture. Oh, uh, yeah. Architecture and, and interior design. That's what I'm majoring in. So. Excellent. So when are you scheduled to graduate? Uh, I'll be graduating in the fall of 2023. Congratulations. Thank Congratulations. You. Thank you. And 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 what inspired you to study architecture and interior design? Um, it's just some things like here in High Point. High Point is like one of the well it used to be the furniture capital of the world. Like a lot of people don't know that, but um, that's something big here. And I just like I consider myself kind of a visionary because I can see things that some people can't see. And I feel like with interior design, you can go into a situation not seeing anything, and like you can be the one that makes everything there. So I was like, that's something I would like to do. Like, I would like to be the, like the uh, overseer of the vision for somebody else. So. I love it. So the, the question that I, I didn't ask Myron uh, in, our, in our speed round was Jay-Z or Kanye? And I, I was holding that question because I want to, which one do you prefer and why? Um, yeah, that's, a, that's a hard one. That's a very hard question. But I would choose Jay-Z. Jay-Z. Because he's an overall entrepreneur. He's like amazing. He's amazing. He's amazing. Since he had a successful career. And he's the owner of a team also. Um, he has a great family. So those are all like huge aspects. And there's a lot of behind the scenes things that uh, he does that people don't even know. Which... Um, makes him an amazing guy, especially when it comes to us as black people, you know, how he stands up and fights for the things that we all are interested in. So that's a great answer, Corey. So a follow-up question to that, because, yeah, he, he's, I mean, the success is incredible. Just this week, I think it was announced that um, I think Square is buying a majority stake in his uh, title, I think it's called title, his title music uh, streaming business. But so there's a young man, didn't obviously come from privilege, um, but yet has achieved so much in America. And I sort of contrast that reality with sort of the narrative that I'm sure you hear on a regular basis that, uh, you know, systemic racism and white supremacy won't allow you to achieve all that's possible. And so as a young man, how do you, how do you compare what you see in front of you of the Jay-Z's and Kanye as well, who's got a great clothing company and, is, and, and some of the narrative that sometimes comes out of some of these, uh, some of these movements? I honestly feel like for myself, I feel like the sky like, is the limit. So we can't sit here and just try to set the bar small. And it's like sometimes we look to like our rappers and our comedians and different guys like that to be like, Oh, yeah, that's what I want to be. But you can be anything, like literally anything. Like I'm sitting I'm sitting here talking to successful guys right now. That, that's how you know that the sky is the limit. So I can't sit here and say, well, I'm going to settle for something less, lesser of what I am because that's going to freeze my mind and cause my mind not to be where I want it to be. It's, it's like really how you surround yourself. And it's like when you're coming from nothing, it's like who you surround yourself with is who you're going to be. And it's like, okay, yeah, I may come from a poor neighborhood, but do I want to be poor? No, I want to be rich. Everybody wants to be rich. So you surround yourself with rich people, so it changes your mindset. So it's all about 
what you want to do. This is not about what people are going to say you're going to do. It's about what you want to do. Each individual has their own ability to be anything. And that's why I, I like, I think about myself. It's plenty of times where people told me I wasn't going to be where like, like I wasn't even going to graduate high school. That's what people tell you all the time. You're not even going to make it to 18. That's something that we have to deal with every day being here in North Carolina. People tell you that all the time, mm -hmm. but it's just the simple fact that I'm here now. And I'm doing it, and I'm going to continue to keep doing it because nobody's going to stop me from being successful. And that's the mindset that us as African-American males, women, everybody have to have, that we're going to be successful despite what anybody says. Because I Ian, I don't think we dare say anything else. We have to close the show on, on Corey's articulation of what's possible. <laughs> Corey, you are very inspiring. I mean, I, I, you guys are inspiring. What y'all doing right now is inspiring. This is going to touch a lot of people. I'm so blessed to be able to talk to you guys. Well, we're, go ahead, we're, blessed, we're blessed to be talking to you, my friend. We, we have much to learn from you. Oh, yeah. Right. Hey, but you know, it trickles down. It trickles down. So everything that you guys know, y'all can pass it down to me. So I can share it with them. So. Uh, Corey, are you on LinkedIn? Um, yes, sir. I actually am. Okay. Well, let's make sure we all connect on LinkedIn and, and have some additional conversations with you. Um, yeah, we really appreciate you joining the show and, and, and adding a a real sense of spirit and purpose around what we're trying to do. And, and again, your articulation um, was really exceptional. I love I love the idea. Don't settle. Don't settle. Uh, it's because it's like we got to think about the Bible like God says, and like if he's with us, then who's against us? So like, where do we settle them for? What, oh, my God. If he's with us, who's against us? What are we settling for? What are we settling for? What are we settling for? All right. Oh, my gosh. All right. Well, this may have just catapulted to the first place of all of the uh, episodes that we have done. <laughs> oh, thank you. It was such a, it's such an honor, it's such an honor. Corey, I can't wait to get in touch with y'all also to talk more about this. Absolutely, absolutely. This, the I, I've got to say one thing, Corey, just to, and I, I said I wanted to leave it with you, but, you know, the other magical thing about life, young man, is, is when someday when you start a family, you know, and I have a son and two daughters, and, you know, my purpose in life is to make sure that they're better than me in every possible way. And, and I... There's no greater joy I have in my life than, than, than making that to become a reality. And so think about all the things you're going to accomplish. And then someday, if you're blessed, you're going to do 2x that with your children. Ten times. Ten times. Ten times. <laughs> Ten times. Hey, it's, just, it's just a simple fact that, like, you, like you didn't some people don't have, some people don't have it as great as other people. So it's like for me to be able to reach my peak and be able to give back, like I already give back the look, like I already give back of what I have. I already give that back as much as I can, but to be able to give back on a bigger aspect, would be amazing. Like, that would be so amazing. I would love it. I would love it. Not just myself, but for my family, everybody. Oh my gosh. Well, Corey, you are an inspiration. Hands oh, down. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Myron. Thank you, Corey. Thank you for uh, participating in a great episode that embodies 
everything we're trying to do with the Invisible Men because we oh, want to yeah. let people know there are, there are young men like you, Corey, who not only have dreams and aspirations, but you are determined to achieve them. And that is inspiring. So welcome. Thank you uh, for listening to this episode of The Invisible Men. If you'd like to see all of the other uh, episodes, just go to www.invisible.men. And so exciting. And uh, Corey, thank you. And Myron, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for watching another episode of The Invisible Men. You can find other episodes at the AEI podcast channel on YouTube or the website invisible.men or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.